Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome back to the As A Woman podcast. I'm Natalie Crawford, and I am your host. And today I am thrilled to do one of my favorite episodes, and this is answering your top fertility questions. These episodes are my absolute favorite because it's just a way to really connect with you and understand what you're asking. And because I get asked so many questions on a daily basis, those of you who take the time to send in a voicemail, I love that we can just get to it in answering them. So before we jump in, a few housekeeping items. Number one, if you want to call and leave your own voicemail, 657-229-3672 is the number. Again, 657-229-3672. Call and leave it. It can be 100% anonymous. We will hear it, but if you don't say your name, we don't know your name. Number two, we're not going to be doing, for fertility's sake, our weekly Q&A this week because we're answering these questions, but we will be doing it next week. As a reminder, I answer your questions on the podcast, on Instagram, and in the newsletter. You can ask these questions on Instagram on Mondays at Natalie Crawford MD. You can also ask fertility questions, here's a little side note, on Fora Fertility's Instagram on Thursdays. That is at Fora Fertility and Fora's F-O-R-A. And in the newsletter, I go over recent updates, fertility in the news, which is my hot take on all those hot fertility topics, and I'll answer your fertility questions as well. You can sign up for the newsletter at nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter, and we'll get to it there. So without any further ado, we are going to go ahead and jump in to your questions. Hi, Dr. Crawford. I have a question regarding PCOS. So I um, have PCOS. I am completely anovulatory without ovulation induction. So I have an AMH of about 11, and on my ultrasounds, my ovaries have between 25 to 40 follicles per ovary. So we've been working with a fertility specialist, and my husband's semen analysis is normal. I've had an HSG. The only diagnosis I have is PCOS. We've done five rounds of ovulation induction with um, letrozole, and this is our first with IUI. We have yet to see a positive pregnancy test. If this doesn't produce a pregnancy, we're going to move to IVF. But my question is, should I expect the same level of difficulty conceiving with our second? God willing, we get to have a first. So with women with PCOS, you typically see about the same level of difficulty getting pregnant, an easier time, a harder time, um, just thinking forward to hopefully our second. We'd love to have a bigger family. Anyway, thanks so much. I appreciate all your knowledge and resources. It has been a lifesaver over the past year since my diagnosis. Thanks so much. All right. Well, this is a really good question and something I don't think we talk about very often. So to answer it in a couple different parts. Number one, PCOS does not get cured or improved by pregnancy. Pregnancy doesn't change the nature of the disease. People with PCOS can occasionally ovulate. I know we said we're totally anovulatory here, but I think answering the question about can you get pregnant afterwards People with PCOS can get pregnant. It just becomes so unlikely. So I usually tell anybody who has PCOS and needed treatment that when they're ready for their second, do not waste time. Just come right on in. And we usually pick up with the treatment that worked. So 
in the world where potentially this treatment cycle worked, that is what I would start with, ovulation induction plus IUI, when you are trying for your second. So we expedite to the level of care that was successful. So hypothetically, yeah, you are going to have the same level of difficulty getting pregnant, potentially more, because now we have age-related issues. It's further in time and our natural pregnancy rate declines as we get older. And there might be variables that we don't know, scar tissue from a birth, worse sperm counts, things like that. However, this is why IVF is hugely advantageous for people with PCOS. I know it's not often our first line, but if you either do not respond to ovulation induction medications or do not get pregnant and need to move on to IVF, some of the advantages are number one, you might get more than one normal embryo for your age. I do think this is a huge reason why I like to do genetic testing of embryos so I really know what I have. But having genetically normal embryos, each normal embryo has a 65% chance of turning into a live-born baby. So if you go through the process, people with PCOS tend to have more eggs. If you therefore have more normal embryos, you probably will have enough embryos to save for a future pregnancy. So I like to have at least two normal embryos for every future baby. Three would be awesome because things don't always go perfectly, but let's say two to three euploid or normal embryos for every future child you want. Now, if you do IVF, now you get pregnant and you come back and I have this stack of embryos, no, it's not going to be hard for you to get pregnant. So one of these advantages is it does free people from this infertility cycle by doing IVF and having normal embryos because then you can just get to that embryo transfer. And most embryo transfers work. Most people are pregnant within two transfer cycles. And so if you have extra embryos, you won't have to go back through this. This is also why people who don't have PCOS will often do multiple cycles, even if they get a normal embryo in the first one, or why I'm seeing younger people do genetic testing so that we can really have an assessment. Because if I have five embryos in the freezer, that sounds cool. If only one of them is genetically normal, I'm going to feel very different about it. And this is called embryo banking, where maybe we are stacking up cycles of egg retrievals because... We are the youngest we're ever going to be. We have the most eggs we're ever going to have. And they're going to be the most genetically stable because we know these things get worse with time. And we are trying to set ourselves up for not just our short-term goal of right now, but also our long-term goal of having that bigger family. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com A-A-W. That's rocketmoney.com A-A-W. Rocketmoney.com A-A-W. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me 
has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer's upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com A-A-W. Hey, Dr. Crawford. Thanks so much for this opportunity to ask questions via voicemail. I have a question. I uh, was recently diagnosed with PCOS, and I have been using the Mira Tracker for about two years now and wanted to know your thoughts on the best forms of tracking ovulation for those of us with PCOS. Let me know. Thanks so much. This is another really good question, and I do find that tracking cycles is much harder with PCOS. It's not impossible, but it does depend on your exact circumstance. So let's just say there is no one size fits all when it comes to this. Number one, if your periods are so sparingly irregular at intervals of 45 days plus or more, it's going to be so hard to track. And I would at that point go see a doctor and get started on ovulation induction medications and let them track, whether it's with ultrasound, post-ovulatory progesterone levels. If your cycles are just irregular, but they do come and you do believe you are ovulating with your PCOS, just not ovulating regularly, then I really like an ovulation predictor kit that is simple. Too many hormones can often overwhelm people with PCOS because your basal estrogen level tends to be higher from all the follicles. So some of these trackers that track high fertility with estrogen levels, those are just going to be so thrown off. What we want is something that's going to detect just that LH surge. So I typically like a very simple test that is only checking the LH surge. You need to use this test at the same point every day and you should start immediately after your period ends, at least the first cycle. If it tells you that you're already surging, okay, so let's say you take it cycle day seven when your period is done and you're already getting a positive, then you know you cannot use this. And this does happen because some people, not everybody, some people with PCOS, especially the higher your AMH is or the worse your disease is, they tend to have such high baseline LH levels because they're making so much testosterone that you'll always get a positive. And then you know OBKs are not reliable. But if you don't get a positive, then you can check it the same time every day, which is between 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So that middle of the day range and you can wait. And when you see that first surge of a positive, that will be the LH surge. And you would target intercourse for that day and the next day. And then do not check it anymore because LH is going to be rising and falling throughout that entire luteal phase. So don't keep repeating it over and over again. I will caution that a lot of people with PCOS do have a hard time tracking cycles. So sometimes I say, if you do know you're ovulating because you do get actual periods, you can just have timed intercourse starting cycle day 10 or so every other day for a period of time and you're going to cover it. But the reality is a lot of people with PCOS do need ovulation induction help. When you're doing ovulation induction help, 
I never tend to rely solely on an OPK for my PCOS patients. And so I would ask, can you get an ultrasound? Is there another way to measure it? Can you get a progesterone level after the expected ovulation if you do use an OPK? So let's say your doctor's office does like these OPKs. Then what I would say is, I have had these be unreliable. I am hoping this medication helps it. But can I come in a week after my positive and get a progesterone level drop? And what you're looking for, that progesterone draw, is for it to be three nanograms or higher. And if it is, you did in fact ovulate when you saw that positive, and then you can use that in the future, knowing that it is reliable if you don't get pregnant. Hey, Natalie, I had a quick question surrounding ovulation and tracking, trying to conceive. Um, My husband and I have been trying for the past four months. Um, We were very blessed during our first pregnancy, getting pregnant relatively fast. Um, But actually looking back on it, um, the time that we were trying to conceive was actually not the time that my son was conceived. Um, He was actually conceived about two weeks after what I anticipated my ovulation time to be. I had cervical mucus around that time. It kind of aligned with the dates that I had my period, um, but it actually turned out to be around the 25th day of my cycle. After having some tests and things of that nature, um, turns out that I do ovulate, but my ovulation is kind of inconsistent. I do not have PCOS. After having some tests drawn, everything seems to check back normal. Um, But I was just curious if there was anything that I could do to kind of track that, to kind of have an understanding of what to look out for when it comes to ovulating. My husband and I do both have pretty low libidos, so we're trying to figure things out that's going to work best for our family, but also not be too much of a stressor on our relationship, um, trying to kind of work through that. So I was just curious if there was anything that we could do or I could track to kind of offset that possibility of having longer ovulation cycles and it not matching up with cervical mucus and other symptoms to check for ovulation. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. So one of the hard things is that cervical mucus can be very effective. It's definitely free. So that's awesome. But it is influenced by so many things. So one, what is cervical mucus? Cervical mucus is the mucus that is around the cervix that is preventing sperm from entering the uterus, except the time when you're ovulating. So it goes from more of a barrier to a pathway where the sperm can get through. Stage four cervical mucus is what we call egg white and sticky. This is not what you just see maybe in your underwear. You actually need to put your fingers inside and see if you can grab and pull anything out. And if you can and you stretch it, it looks like an egg white, that's actually your type four cervical mucus. And that is typically consistent with the day that you're ovulating due to the high estrogen levels changing the consistency of the mucus to allow sperm to get through. Now, medications, having allergies, drinking alcohol, not getting enough sleep, a lot of things can influence your cervical mucus. So it certainly seems like in your situation, that's not a reliable external sign. And maybe we know why, maybe we don't. It doesn't really matter. If you don't use PCOS, I'm curious if you've tried using the ovulation predictor kits like I previously said, or a wearable. So let's go over both of those. Ovulation predictor kits, again, are checking the LH surge that comes from the brain. These can be hard in PCOS patients because of endogenously high LH, but in somebody who doesn't have PCOS, your LH should be low until you get to the stage where you're going to ovulate in which you're going to have a surge. 
So if you start taking these tests around cycle day 10 for the average person, take them one time a day between 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., the day that you see a surge is going to be the LH surge day and your ovulation is the next day. So if you have low libido and you're trying not to overwhelm your relationship with too much intercourse, targeting those two days, the day of the positive and the next day are going to be the most reliable. Now, it's important to try to understand why your periods are irregular and hopefully you've had the full workup since they ruled out PCOS. But remember that things like thyroid disease and prolactin and running out of eggs can all influence your hormones. So I would wanna make sure that you've had a TSH, a prolactin and an AMH done so that we know what is going on. There's definitely reasons why people have anovulation that we don't always know about. Meaning having mild hypothalamic disease from a prior eating disorder, from being stressed, from being in a calorie deficiency can decrease the FSH secretion from the brain and not be strong enough to get us to ovulate, being overweight so those fat cells can make estrogen, and that means that the brain is not sending out a strong enough FSH signal, so it can take us longer to get to ovulation. And so those things can lead to chronic anovulation, and they are different entities than PCOS. However, in those circumstances, you should see an LH surge, so I would consider trying to track that. The other thing is a wearable that is checking your temperature. This can be now a variety of different wearable options. And this has made basal body temperature tracking much more accessible. This can be tough if your periods are very irregular and it's predictive in the prior. So if you don't ovulate perfectly, but you do ovulate, let's say your cycles come every 36 to 40 days, this is going to tell you approximately when you ovulate based on your temp rise, which happens a few days after ovulation. So it doesn't help you in the moment, but it does help you if your cycles are consistently the same length in understanding when that fertile window is, so you can just target that for intercourse versus tracking it anew every cycle. But if they're slightly irregular, you don't have PCOS, we've ruled out thyroid disease, prolactin, running out of eggs, we would try an LH test if we think that we're ovulating, just any from over the counter is fine. You don't have to do anything fancy. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a caraway for every cook. Their internet famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com A-A-W to take advantage of this limited-time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, so visit carawayhome.com slash A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their Essential for Women 18 Plus every single day. 
One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence. So every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients, and they have industry leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Hello, my name is Rachel. I got off birth control about a little over three months ago and after being on it for 12 years and I I still haven't gotten my period and just trying to figure everything out. My FSH and LH are both 6.3. All of my thyroid hormones are uh, seemingly normal. The only one that's a little low is the free T4, so 1.18. So yeah, just kind of trying to figure out what is going on, what could potentially be at play and how to get back on track to get pregnant ASAP. All right. So when you have amenorrhea after using a hormonal contraceptive, so in this case, it is the birth control pill, but we also see it after a progesterone IUD or an arm implant or the Depo-Provera shot. It can be for a variety of different reasons. Most of us think that it's because of the brain, and sometimes it is, but it also can be because of the uterus. So the first distinguishing factor is, did you have periods while on the contraceptive? Meaning a lot of people with an IUD or with the pill use the pill continuously, or they've been on it so long that now that chronic progesterone exposure has made it so they no longer have periods. And that can be great. You don't have periods, you don't have pain, you don't have cramping, you don't have bleeding, you don't get anemia, but chronic progesterone to the lining of the uterus over a prolonged period of time can make it so thin, that's why you don't bleed, that it can take a long time for it to come back. The other thing that can be going on is that you may not ovulate and trying to get to the bottom of the reason why is what we're doing now. So if you took the pill I'll put in quotes, like normal, and you had a bleed every month, and now you've stopped it, you've had no bleed for three months, this does typically present an underlying ovulatory issue. So we have some of the values, but not all of them. You said FSH and LH are in the sixes, but what is your estradiol? Those are important to understand together. If your FSH is six, but your estradiol is very low, then you're not stimulating an egg to grow. And this could be part of the hypothalamic phenomenon, meaning I would want to look hard at our history. Are we over-exercising, training for a marathon? Are we under-eating? Are we in a malnutrition state? Do we have a history of an eating disorder? Are we on weight loss medication, trying to lose weight? and losing it rapidly? Do we have a chronic disease? Are we under a high level of stress? Are we not sleeping? Variety of these different things can cause hypothalamic amenorrhea. And this is something we definitely see when coming off the pill because now the brain is not turned on. Another thing that we see can be PCOS and FSH and LH are not part of the diagnostic criteria for PCOS. So we often would want to look at the ovaries to see if they have a PCOS looking appearance meaning there's a lot of small follicles in them. Other clues I can point to, it can be a high testosterone level. Although coming off the birth control pill, you actually usually don't have a high T. So I wouldn't check it this close to the pill because the pill changes something called sex hormone binding globulin and manipulates your testosterone. 
which is why people who have acne can really love the birth control pill because it lowers testosterone levels. But what we're looking for is do you have a high number of follicles and maybe the brain is sending out that normal FSH and it's just getting diluted amongst all of those follicles. In this circumstance, your estrogen is going to be normal or above average. So what I mean by that is in hypothalamic, your estrogen's typically 20 or less. In PCOS, that estrogen's typically in the 30s to 60s, depending on the scenario. And then we also have scar tissue inside the uterus, which can play a role. And this is unlikely after the pill, although we do see it sometimes after an IUD. But I will use the exception that I've had some people who had a traumatic loss, a termination, a miscarriage, and then started the pill right away. And so they never really knew if they had issues inside the uterus. This again would be a scenario where you would be not bleeding on the pill. So if you had periods on the pill or not, is changing how I'm looking at your body. By the three-month mark, the suppression from the brain that the birth control pill does have should be removed, meaning when you're taking the pill, you're giving the body estrogen, and so the brain should not be sending out FSH. And typically, FSH and LH levels in this scenario are very low, 0, 1, and 2. So the fact that they're both 6 does say that that brain suppression from the pill has been removed. However, is it a strong enough signal to make the ovaries respond? What is happening? If all of the levels are pretty normal, your doctor might do an ultrasound to see what the lining is or might do what we call a progesterone challenge, which is giving you progesterone to see if you will bleed afterwards. It's a soft sign to see if there was estrogen to grow the lining. We're really looking at having no estrogen versus having estrogen. Having estrogen can be PCOS, being overweight, puts things in that category. Having no estrogen typically means you're either hypothalamic, menopausal ovarian failure, which you're not because your FSH is six. But that will put us in one of these two categories. So we're not ovulating if that's the case and we wanna figure out why. And it can be frustrating, but please consider really staying on top of your doctor or seeing a fertility doctor. And if you're wanting to get pregnant, you're going to need some help with ovulating. So I would just fast track it into the fertility clinic. Hi, Dr. Crawford. Thank you so much for your podcast. It's been super helpful and informative during this process. I am a 34-year-old, well, 33, my birthday is tomorrow, <laughs> so almost 34-year-old uh, woman who has regular periods but was recently diagnosed with um, diminished ovarian reserve. I have high FSH levels. I've done two egg retrievals, and I've gotten 10 embryos that we PGT tested. Um, so we actually had more than that, but 10 are the quality embryos that we are have frozen. I have done two frozen embryo transfers of the day five blastocyst, and both of those transfers failed. I'm currently starting my protocol for my third transfer, and I'm just kind of you know, jaded and nervous about this cycle. The first cycle, failed cycle, we did progesterone and estrogen. The second one, we did a Lupron lead-in, then progesterone. For this cycle, we are doing just the standard estrogen for 14 days and then six days of progesterone. They also have me on supplements. I will be taking Viagra four times a day vaginally, as well as L-arginine, I can never say that right, vitamin E, and Medrol. My second transfer that failed, we also did doxycycline for 14 days, which I will be doing again. I just wanted to know if you've ever prescribed or suggested Viagra for your patients and what your thoughts on it. And if a third transfer fails, what kind of tests or next steps do you do? Thank you again for all of your help. And I look forward to hearing the podcast. I'm so sorry that you're having such a hard time when it comes to embryo transfer. I know this can be so frustrating. One, 
you've got a good number of normal embryos that should hopefully give you a little bit of peace. Number two, I think about a lot of different things when it comes to transfer. Sounds like you've done controlled cycles every time, one time with Lupron. So I really put people into different categories. Did I like everything or did I not? Thoughts for me if this doesn't work or for the next time. If the lining is thin, do we need to change how we're getting an egg to grow? Meaning I often consider a modified natural cycle at this point where I'm getting you to grow an egg and therefore that egg is getting the lining to grow. This can be done naturally if you ovulate naturally, but more of us are doing cycles with either letrozole or FSH, so gonadotropins. These can be difficult because we don't know when exactly you're going to ovulate and you have to come in a lot and things aren't as planned, but I've seen people really respond differently. So if you have a thin lining, I would consider this. If you have a thin lining and you don't respond to that, so you have terrible PCOS and you don't want to use injectable hormones or there's some other reason why we don't want to do that, it is hard if you're older or if you don't respond or ovulate at all, to be fair. I sometimes use vaginal Viagra. I sometimes use vaginal estrogen or change up the road of the estrogen exposure if I think the lining should be thicker. If my lining's thin and at this point, only 5% of people are going to have recurrent implantation failure and failed three euploid embryo transfers. I'm doing a hysteroscopy. I want to put a camera inside your uterus and see if I'm missing anything. Do you potentially have endometriosis? Do you have painful periods? Do you have other autoimmune diseases? Does endo run in your family? Is your fertility unexplained? If this is the case, I gear back towards Lupron-based cycles and then consider longer pretreatments with Lupron. Standard would be two months if we think it's endometriosis and implantation failure. These are also circumstances where we sometimes consider an ERA or an endometrial receptivity analysis test. This is a test where you do a biopsy sample to make sure that you're not missing somebody who might need longer or shorter duration of progesterone. This test was overdone. It probably has a small cohort of people who it's right for, and this may be the circumstance where we consider that. It does take you longer time and cost money, but it might give you an answer. And then personally, this is where I often would consider blood thinners for recurrent implantation failure, like baby aspirin and maybe Lovenox. There is some literature that this can be helpful for unexplained implantation failure. It's not excellent. I would want to make sure you don't have an underlying clotting disorder like factor V Leiden, any phospholipid antibody syndrome. Does anybody in your family have any blood clots? Have you? Is there anything in that realm? And the only reason I want to know that is it changes how long you need to be on the medication. Is it just for implantation or the first trimester? Or is this an entire pregnancy medication for you? So I'm thinking about, am I happy with the lining? Should I do surgery? Should I change the protocol? Do I have a thin lining? Do I have endometriosis? Do I have potentially a clotting disorder? And That's the basis of where I'm usually coming from in my brain when I'm walking through this implantation failure. Things I see most people not do is do a hysteroscopy to look at the uterus or to change anything in the protocol and just stick with the same protocol, even if we think somebody can have a better lining or there are signs that something could be wrong. Hi, Natalie. I just had a question about starting my first round of Samara Plastrozole. I am 23. And I'm going to be starting in the next couple of weeks. Um, as my doctor says, I think it's like day four through seven of my period when I start taking it. I was just wondering if there's anything that I can do to help it work better, per se, or, like, give myself the best chance 
with taking it, do I take it at night or in the morning? My doctor said it didn't matter. When I do take my metformin at night, I have PCOS. Um, I'm not sure if you can give me any tips or tricks or if there's anything I really can do to help improve my chances. Thank you. Hi. Well, I know that having PCOS can be really tough and I'm glad you're on the right medication. So letrozole is the thing that is standard of care for first line ovulation adduction. And you already did one of the things that I highly recommend, which is sounds like you're also on metformin as well. The combination of those together is really nice. Things that I think about. One, I like using letrozole earlier in the cycle. So if you get a choice on when to start it, would start it earlier. Uh, I would take it the same time every day. And I agree, morning or evening doesn't matter. So whatever is easier for you to be consistent with. I also like somebody to make sure that they're getting a good amount of sleep, not overdoing it on exercise. I wouldn't drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes, or use marijuana in this time period. Want to reduce the amount of processed and sugar foods. Supplement-wise, would consider prenatal vitamin, CoQ, 10 extra vitamin D and inositol. That is my PCOS combination. Add in melatonin if somebody can't get enough good sleep at night because sleep is really important in any inflammatory disease process and we know that PCOS is definitely inflammatory. Ultimately though, remember that there's different doses to letrozole. Depending on your doctor's plan, success is ovulating. So if you don't ovulate, that's not the end of the world, but then we want to change the dose. Regular OBGYNs, if you're seeing a regular OBGYN, are going to feel different about this. They may just try, and if you don't respond, kick you on to a fertility doctor. They may monitor with ultrasound. They may not. Everybody's different. You just want to know, how are we confirming that I did ovulate? Are we checking ultrasound? Are we checking ovulation kit? Are we checking progesterone? What is the game plan here? Therefore, you can know if you do. And then number two, if I don't ovulate, what is going to be up next for me? Meaning, are we going to go up in dose? Are you going to get a referral? What is the plan? All right. Well, just a huge thank you to everybody who called and left a question. Again, these are my absolute favorite episodes. I just love hearing what you have and answering them. And I also think they're really fun and easy to listen to. A few housekeeping items just before you go. Remember, you can call and you can leave your own question. These questions can be anonymous if you want, but you do have a better chance of getting them answered. So go ahead and call 657-229-3672. Again, that is 657-229-3672. You can also ask your questions if you don't want to leave a voicemail on Instagram every Monday at Natalie Crawford MD. I'll answer some of your questions on Instagram, some of your questions here every week at the end of the podcast and in the newsletter. You can sign up for the newsletter, nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. And we also have the Enhance Your Natural Fertility course and the IVF add-on. These two courses are self-paced, go at your own. You're going to learn so much information. This is all information that exists in other places, but what you don't get is access to the community to get questions, to monthly office hour calls. And I really feel like the program is curated so that you're learning things in a sequence that makes sense. I've loved watching people get pregnant and send back their praise for the course about how it empowered them and made them a better advocate for their own health, fertility, their care, all of the above. You can find more information out about the course offerings on the website as well, nataliecrawfordmd.com. All right, friends, thank you so much. And until next week, thanks for being here. 
Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.